Most little bears like to play. To show off, read aloud, and to sing. But on a stage in the spotlight. For some, the play is not the thing. Welcome back to Deep in Bear Country, a Berenstain Bear cast. I'm your host, Phil Gonzalez, and today. I sound a little further from the mic because I'm a little further from the mic. And the reason I am is because I have it set up for more people than two because I'm surrounded by friends. And the reason I'm surrounded by friends is because this week's book is The Berenstain Bears' Get Stage Fright from 1986. It is a book about the world of the theater. And so I have invited friends from the theater for my first ever Deep in Bear Country roundtable discussion. Therefore, we are literally around a table. And why doesn't everyone go ahead and introduce themselves, starting to my right. Hi, I'm Karina. I'm a theater artist, a generalist. I've done lots of different aspects with a more of a concentration in scenery and props. Hi, I'm Andrew. I'm an actor, director, and theater administrator and producer. I'm Alana, um, actor, singer, and dancer. And I'm Scott, and I'm a theater generalist that does pretty much anything that's needed. (laughs) So this group of fun friends are also pretty much fun family. We do a lot of stuff together. We know each other well, and it's more than applicable to have them here at our table tonight because these people know... So many facets of theater, and this book covers pretty much every facet of theater, would you say? Yeah, it touches on them. Yeah? I don't think they have any projections. No. no. <laughs> it was 1986. It was 1986. Okay. That wasn't a big thing. Yeah, we hadn't crossed that threshold. We hadn't, like, I think it was Guys and Dolls on Broadway, like, in the 1990s that really, like, broke that barrier of having, like, let's project everything on scrims instead of painting sets. At this point, they could have had a film strip. They could have. That's true. Cool, <laughs> yes. But they didn't. Good right. choice. So, uh, the Bears and Bears get stage fright. Uh, this is a story that has a lot of build up to a different point than it seems to be making in the beginning. Uh, we spend two pages establishing that A, Teacher Jane is good, and B, <laughs> that Sister, Brother, and Freddy are the only uh, Bears of consequence at this school. For the purposes of this story. <laughs> uh, but, but we spend a lot of time establishing that Sister Bear really likes Teacher Jane, who uh, teaches by example, a fact that has no bearing on the rest of the story. What do you guys think about the setup so far? I wasn't sure what they were getting at, but, <laughs> you know, I guess every school play takes place in the context of uh, school. And the relationship with the teacher might have seemed important at the right. time they were starting the story. And I think teaching the concepts that she's teaching, even the pretend store, they play money. They're reenacting. Well, these, I, I think the the school lessons. stuff. It, they take what four, four or five pages mm-hmm. to get there, but it's all leading up to the fact that sister actually enjoys reading aloud mm-hmm. in class and acting out the characters, and that's to contrast with her later on her trepidation about actually performing without having the book in front of her but it it is kind of it does take a long path to to get there i think they're also establishing some credibility for the teacher because you were saying do they show all aspects they don't show any kind of audition process this is just like the teacher just decided there was a play and this was the play and here's the people in it so i think that it actually, even though it's weird from the perspective of an actual play that there were no auditions, 
it sort of makes sense to think that sister has stage fright. She might have chosen not to audition. She might have not done well in the audition. So this kind of bypasses for the purposes of the book. Hey, you've got the lead, even though that doesn't maybe make sense to you, but we trust this teacher. Right. For the listeners at home, (laughs) they've been reading the story of uh, Grizzly Stiltskin, which is the bear universe version of Rumpelstiltskin. And Sister enjoys reading it out loud, and then Teacher Jane announces that they're doing a play of Grizzly Stiltskin, and that some of the students have been selected uh, to be in the play, and she hands out scripts. Uh, there's no there's no indication, there's no setup. This is something the students obviously weren't aware of until the second they were handed scripts. Uh, this is an interesting, to me, plot point, and I wanted to pick you guys' brains a little bit on this. I also have a a separate podcast in which we've been reading some stories in which this is all has been a plot point in the last two books, uh, which is the student getting cast in a play against their will. Like you're in a play and then they go home and they have to, and these stories were written like 19 in the 1950s. This was obviously written in the eighties, but we're dealing with writers who came of age and had kids in earlier decades. Mm -hmm. Was this a thing? Was this something that happened in elementary schools where you were just, put in a play like does anyone have any experience with that happening yes all right <laughs> Andrew. Uh, third grade must have been about 1980 uh in your home state of texas Ooh. um i i don't remember exactly what the play was i i'm pretty sure it was not the full actual story of like willy wonka the chocolate factory <laughs> but it did no. include the Candyman song oh and i so i i have no idea you know, what this script actually was. I just remember that song was in it and that I was, I don't remember having auditions. I don't remember having any sort of, you know, I want to do this Mm -hmm. process going on, but I was given a lead role. (laughs) I I was placed in this play in the position of, of uh, having to carry a large part of the story. And I, I, I was fine with that. I was not, scared of it i oh, of i thought this was great this was uh <laughs> wonderful i was having a, a lot of fun with it uh until and i i have i don't recall how long this process was either but at the point where we got into the auditorium and we were actually practicing it on the stage they decided i was too quiet oh i and i i would not uh, accommodate the instructions to raise my voice and speak louder so that people could actually hear me. So they took away the role and gave it to someone else and gave me a non-speaking part. <laughs> and that was my first experience in the theater. In the theater. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's how it works. That's so sad. That's, how, that's what you can expect. But it, it definitely is an example of that kind of arbitrary sort of casting where the because that that's how I remember it working was the teacher just told me you're okay gonna you're going to be in this role and then when I wasn't up to what they needed from me they just said well we're going to have to put somebody else in that role and and move you, you over know, here I was a camp counselor one summer when I was in college and I was the drama lady and I sure didn't do auditions I'm realizing now like I had my <laughs> campers they were who they were my job was to put all of them in one production which was mm-hmm. a feat but I just you know after like the second week you know who they are and you're just like you're a flake you're going to do a good job you know what I mean and you just pick speak them speak clearly and, yeah, yeah exactly yeah and so actually now that I think about it that's what I did and I can imagine if you've got a group where you need to give everyone a role 
and and you're an adult and they're all children, I, I can I guess I can yeah. I guess, see where you might I, say, I think I know where all these people fit best. But you're also going to run into situations like you described from those two books where the, the kids, person, the kid, doesn't feel like they were cast right, the, or the parents are like, we're busy that night, yeah. <laughs> or I don't have time to sew all these costumes. Right. Ahead. Well, we'll get there. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I had an experience like that too in third grade. It was the holiday winter show. I think back then they even called it the Christmas, it was a Christmas show. show. It was a Christmas show, and um, you know, because it was 1983. I'm dating myself, and I'm okay with that because <laughs> we're talking about different time periods. So this was the, the 80s. I was in third grade, and I was told you're going to be the narrator for this third grade Christmas piece in this Christmas concert thing. And I said, okay, that's great. And I read through the script and it comes to find out there's a role for a bunny and a role for a a squirrel and some other thing and and a kid. And I was like, well, gosh, I wish I could have played like the squirrel because that sounds like a lot more fun than being the narrator. And I asked my mom about it and I think that she said, well, Maybe those moms volunteered to sew the costumes. And I said, okay, I can see that. So, yeah, I think that in an educational setting, we're fodder for, this is kind of the way it goes. You pick the kid who can read really well to read. You pick the kid whose mom can sew a squirrel costume to sew a squirrel costume. See, and mine was, uh, the, the, the most vivid memory I have is second grade. And we were doing Bambi. And I informed the teacher that I needed to have, play Bambi because I had more stage experience than anybody else. Because at the age of four, I was in Medea at a local community college. Because I was one of the children. Okay, I was, I was one of the children that got killed by their mother. So like now, now you got this. Like this was your chance for like theatrical redemption as Bambi's mother got to be killed. Ooh, oh, I didn't even think about that. You're like finally like turnabout's fair play, mother. <laughs> well, I was cast as Mexico in Christmas Around the World. Nice, because I'm Mexican. Uh, so that was it. That was my story. I got to talk about Christmas in Mexico. Wooden shoes or something. I don't remember. What do they do? But those were sort of those were class created pieces. Right. And so so oh, that's, that's a very true, true. different. And what yeah. we're going to get to here script. is on the next page we re- we we are given the information that this is not a class play. No. no. This is the school play uh, which from what so the teacher Jane has a stack of scripts in her hand and there are seven scripts in her hands. I counted the paper clips. <laughs> she has a stack of seven scripts so there's seven seven kids in her class are going to be in this play. Out of the whole rest of the school, I guess two other kids from a different grade are given leads, brother and Freddie from one of the class. So I don't know if it's a school play or two of the teachers are doing this play, because teacher Jane would seem to be in charge of it, but then two of the leads are from another person's class. I know looking at it logically, it probably doesn't make too much, like obviously it's contrived so that our three main cubs are in the show, but... We know there's at least nine speaking parts, and that the scripts only say the name of the student on the front of them, and the kids weren't told what characters they're playing. They had to find that out for themselves. So the front of Sister's Part just says Sister's Part. I assume that the front of each student's part just says Brother's Part, Freddie's Part, and then the teachers are just Mama on the rest of it. Like, here's, here is your part. It, this is the rest of it's a mystery. Yeah, they, they didn't say anything to them about it. But sister, who hadn't even thought to look, it says, turned to her part, and it said, "The, the princess. princess." 
My question is, were they only given their sides? Yeah, I was just it wondering It sure that. reads that way. That would be horrible to be yeah. a kid that never been in a show. I remember um, that the first sort of real show I was in, it was in seventh grade, and it was Oliver, and we got sides. Right. And I was Whoa. like, what is this? Maybe we should explain <laughs> yeah, what sides are for people sides. who yeah. might not know. Is It's when instead of getting the whole script, all you get is your cue and your line. Mm-hmm. And then until the next time you have a cue and a line, you have no idea... What's going on What's around going you. on in the play, yeah. You don't know if your next line is three pages away or, you know, or 15 minutes or two hours. Well, that's just very traditional. It's the way it was done in Shakespeare's day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. You save the paper. <laughs> you save paper and you don't need to know what's being said to you. You just got to hit your yeah, mark. This method? Yeah. And I'll, I'll say, learning lines from sides teaches you to listen. Right. Like, because well, you're just, true. you're listening for those cues. Like, you're yeah. not... You can't just like sort of like sleep. You have to really pay attention, at least for the first few rehearsals. You have to know what's going on. Like you have to wait until you're cued. It does seem like a horrible thing to do to elementary school kids, but maybe it, maybe they don't need to be burdened with the rest of that script. Like maybe they only just need to focus on their lines and not worry about everyone else's part. I can see where providing them just with sides might reduce confusion because you don't have to scan through the script and try to find, find out your, where right. your lines are, uh, and, and you know. Sometimes, even as adults, we miss those. Right, <laughs> we're surprised. It, but I have a line like, where I wasn't expecting. More, I mean, it doesn't make more work for the for the teachers. Like instead of just, I guess instead of just writing out one script and then mimeographing the whole thing, mm-hmm. you'd have to write out every oh, single mimeograph. part. Oh, these are mimeo. You guarantee these are blue. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> these are blue. That, that smell. smell? That, yep. Oh, and by the time you get to like guard number three, these are pretty like faded mimeographs. Oh yeah. Sisters, for, unless they're all handwritten. I don't know. That front page seems pretty handwritten. But, it does. Uh, well, I think the front page would be handwritten because, oh, right. because there's not multiple copies of that sister's part. That's right. Copy. So mm-hmm. we're, we're, looking at a, we're looking at a version of Rumpelstiltskin here that's... Uh, well, we'll get, to the, uh, we'll get to the actual plot, but they've already told us that Grizzly Stiltskin is about... It, they, don't, they don't really fill you in. We're not getting the whole... Rumpelstiltskin is basically about a, a, a miller who brags that his daughter can spin straw into gold. The king finds out about this, kidnaps her and says, I'll marry you if you can spin straw into gold. I'll execute you if you can't spin straw into gold. Uh, she gets a, a little imp, uh, spins the straw for her for, for payment. When she runs out of payment, he says, fine, if you get married, give me your firstborn child as payment for all this. The king ends up marrying her because of the gold. Uh, she doesn't want to give up her child. So the imp says, if you can guess my name and three guesses... Uh, I'll let you keep the kid. She sends out uh, a hunter or whomever to find out the name. He finds out the name that it's Rumpelstiltskin. When she guesses Rumpelstiltskin, Rumpelstiltskin gets so mad he tears himself in half and then the ground splits open and he falls into the furnace. Or or in this version, he disappears in a puff of smoke. Uh, This version of the story seems to cut out all the stuff about the baby and the the bargaining. Or it's in there, but they're not going to cover it in this book. It's roughly the story of Rumpelstiltskin. I just have to take a minute to appreciate a little bit of the uh, set decoration in the Berenstain Bears' home. Uh, there's a beautiful old-time telephone. Yeah. It, we're talking really old-time. Really old-time. little time. dangling mm-hmm. uh, earpiece that you pick up and right, hold like up Right, like talking to the trumpet. 1930, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, I'm also, I'm not just a panel member, I'm also a fan. I know (laughs) Phil has talked sometimes about the sort of interesting uh, historical timeline that the the bears seem to fit into. Um, And just seeing their phones sitting on this table in their house made me think, yeah, 
We don't know what what in, era this in is. In 1986, when this book came out, no one had a phone like that. No, no. <laughs> no, they did have dials on their phones, but... Uh... So another thing I noticed on that same page is this. So on this page of the story, she comes home and Sister Bear, and they all are starting to talk about the play and the part she got... And they're getting very excited, and they're going to invite all the relatives. And Mama and Papa are looking so happy. And there's this really cute picture of her looking very small and very terrifying mm-hmm. about the whole thing. And one thing that I wish they kind of did do in this book is they they show that, you know, some people we'll see in a page or two are naturally excited about performing and others aren't. And I kind of wish that it was more okay to be like, you know what, I like reading out loud in class, but I don't actually want to perform. Like, I think there's a very normative, like, of course everyone wants to be the star. And of course that's what be- is best. Right. Well, we know that Sister doesn't do well with a whole lot of excitement from the birthday party. I mean, right. too many people, too much attention. Right. It's stressful on her. She's a... Person who doesn't like that kind of attention, maybe. Or a bear that doesn't like that kind of attention. <laughs> We've established uh, in, in the Berenstain Bears Trouble with Strangers that sister is naturally outgoing. And that brother is naturally more reserved. But this book seems to switch those parts a little bit. Because brother is suddenly shown to be the more outgoing. I think, though, um, I don't know if this was their point at all, but... Uh, given the context you just gave in terms of the you know sister and brother's attitudes shown in other books, um, it makes me think of the the fact that um, it's easy to expect someone who is either socially outgoing or socially reserved mm. to have that same attitude toward um, performance opportunities, right? And it doesn't necessarily track. A lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, who are really great in a social situation and networking with friends and, you know, they get that social interaction, they don't actually want to get up on stage and uh, yeah. and perform for people. So it, it, it's a thing where it's easy to see some sort of equivalency or you think that, you know, things would align a certain way. And it, it does, sometimes it does, but very often it actually right. doesn't. Also, before we move on, I just have to say that Sister was going to be in the school play on the auditorium stage with scenery and costumes and makeup and everything. And I'm trying to imagine bare makeup. How does that work? It's a lot of dyes. That kind of sounds gross. <laughs> you get some very matted fur. I'm yeah, sure. like, yeah. I, I'm trying to picture like the uh, the like the sticks, oh. just like rubbing oh, base yeah. onto like onto like yeah like disgusting like grizzly bear fur. It'd be like putting makeup over a beard, but a body length beard. Well, I, I, I'm going to agree with Andrew uh, that my experience in the theater is that I know more people who are naturally introverted in the theater. So we start seeing Brother bragging about his 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 monologue. Oh, because Brother, we haven't said, was cast as the... Uh, woodsman. The Woodsman. Woodsman. Uh, which I don't remember. He's the guy. They, they send out a bunch of guys to go like scour the countryside to find out this imp's name. Oh. And I think they may have reduced it to one character in this. Uh, or maybe they're blending in a little bit of the Snow White right, story right, the Huntsman. or something. Uh, but yeah. he's yeah, he's getting up and he's bragging about how well he knows this part. Sister's not amused. Yeah, he's showing off. He's being a he's being a brother. Day one, he's already off book. That one has a woodsman. Yeah, there's a lot of woodsmans out there. Uh, Used to be a really important career. Yeah. Well, Papa 
Papa Bear is uh, works in the wood. He works with wood, so maybe he's like, "Come, come to me, and I will fill you in on your character's backstory." Uh, but so Sister uh, takes that step. She she does something that uh, many theater people have done, which is trying out the space, walking out on that bare stage, just to see what you're what you're getting into. The feel of walking out onto a stage and looking out into the audience just to see, like, what, where am I? Like, what is this? Like, what is this whole world? And it scares the dickens out of her. Yeah, she's looking at empty seats and imagining them full of people. Mm-hmm. Obviously, no one told her the, the trick of picturing them in underwear. <laughs> Does that work? I don't, Not really. Or is that a public speaking thing? Seems like, like it like kind of takes your mind. Like, like, how can you even think of your line, your next line, when you're thinking, trying to imagine? I don't know, it seems like it's a distraction. We don't want to task. encourage also, children to it seems to unlikely at. that they would have published that drawing. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, a barely, barely dressed bears. Yeah. This, this is a legit visualization technique. Visualization technique. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't seem to be working for her. Right. But that is something, I remember in college when I did my senior recital, that working through a lot of like, you know, play the grand piano on stage, don't sit in a practice room with a little upright, you know, so that you get used to being out there and thinking about it being full of people. Well, I think that's one of the reasons we have like in the theater, we have the natural process of like the rehearsal room to the stage, to the stage with set. To the, you know, the teching, the... Like, you have this, like, natural process. We have that. that. In this book, they, they do not. We'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, but we... Yeah, there's a tradition. There's, like, a... There's a process you work through to get yourself onto into that moment. Uh, more or less. You know, depending on the theater. Depending on the venue. Well, the other thing this sets up right away with brother and with sister, but also later with sister as she's rehearsing, is the difference between memorizing and being in a performance setting. Mm-hmm. And so... I actually like that the book talks about that yeah it's very much about that this is a book it's an unusual subject because it is specifically about stage fright which is not a unified so far we've had to go to the dentist talking to strangers like the 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 themes have been very universal and all-encompassing and this is not a subject that is covered in a lot of children's literature like how to deal with stage fright like literally stage fright not performance anxiety but stage fright. Uh, although I think that the techniques they talk, the things they talk about, the philosophy that ends up coming up, is very applicable in a lot of situations. What, but uh, what's the difference between performance anxiety and stage fright? Well, I'm just saying it doesn't like say like it's it's not talking about. Uh, I'm nervous to go out and play this sport, or I'm nervous to go out and you know like address a group. I'm. This is about like the raw form of stage fright, which is I'm a character on in a play on a stage. Yeah, and all the things that entail. And it's intimidating. Yep, it sure (laughs) is. So Brother is, and Alana and I had this discussion not too long ago, which was Brother is bragging about how well he can memorize his lines and say his part by demonstrating that he can do his part standing on his head, he can do his part hanging from a tree, he can do his part from inside a hollow log. And Alana and I talked about this the other day, that this is actually a legit rehearsal Mm -hmm. Technique. Absolutely. Why don't you, you, you had said that you've had uh, an instructor who you had to do your pieces in different ways. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, you throw different situations at a performer. Yeah. And, and, and knowing your lines so well that you can do them while brushing teeth. And, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's knowing the words 
instinctively. Yeah, and it's showing it as a negative almost. Like, this is a braggy thing to do right. that Brother is doing. And I guess he's doing it to show someone up. Right. But he's also doing a good job at, like, knowing his lines back and forth, so he doesn't even have to think about them. Yeah, he's doing his work. Right, he's yeah. putting in the work. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to say that, like, he memorized his part right off the bat. Like, he got that out of the way. And I think that's a legitimate thing some actors can do, is memorize the lines before... But I, I think what we're seeing here is somebody going through a good process with not necessarily the bright attitude or, or intention right, right. behind it. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, he's going through a great process, practicing his lines, uh, you know, being able to take whatever is thrown at him uh, and, and still do his part. Uh, but what he's thinking about is not, this is to make sure I give the best performance. It's, this is so I can give my sister a hard time. Right, right. I, I don't know that he's giving her a hard time looking through it. Um, he isn't actually being mean. He's saying relax or no, something true. to it. It's a piece of cake. He's trying to reassure her that there's nothing to worry about. He's just doing a bad job. <laughs> right, right. You know? It's making her more nervous, and he's not being very sensitive to that. But I don't think he's trying to be a jerk. He's just I, I doing right. his best, right. and it's not good enough. Sorry, brother. I know that I studied uh, the ABCs of acting, Stanislavski, just to make other people feel bad about it. <laughs> Just like, watch me divide this this script into French scenes, you jerk. Ha <laughs> ha! And there's the beats, and there's my entrances and exits. Beat that. So, uh, sister's freaked out, and Mama has an awesome sewing machine, and... Yeah, she does. She's got an old pedal sewing machine. She's making... Sitting a- on a split log table. Yep. She is... Mama is... Mama is making all the costumes... She has two kids in a school play, one of whom has a costume change, obviously, um, and one of whom is a woodsman. Uh, I'm going to go off Karina's idea that maybe these kids were cast in these roles because everyone knows that Mama can make costumes really fast. I have to point out, too, she's got beautiful renderings right, behind right. her she of does. the princess costume and the Miller's daughter costume, and I can only assume this page that's hidden by her head is probably Brothers Woodsman oh, right. costume. Oh, I, I was going to say beautiful I renderings, which a costume designer generates before they sew the costume. So they. I, I was going to guess that the image behind her head was actually a piece of paper that had, like, swatches cut out, mm. like, of different, mm. like, she has them tacked to the, so to the wall. She's worrying about... Sisters' costumes, but brothers, she can just throw together. Right, right. <laughs> he, he's like, no, no. She's she's building costumes. Yes. Right. They're not yeah, buying yes. these. They're not. Oh yeah. Like she's building them, and she's yeah. like using. She's like having sister up. She's like piecing this costume together. And someone designed these. This is an original design. Yes. So your point is that this is like showing the technical aspects. Yeah. In a subtle way. Yep. Hmm. I, I haven't talked to uh, Mike Berenstain about this book, but I'm going to guess there's some knowledge here, like about. Like, some theatrical knowledge going into well, it. And I was wondering, because no one, like you said, it's not a common theme, if the Berensteins had children or grandchildren that were living this story and, and they right. were making the costumes for their kids and grandkids at that point. The other thing is that while the sewing is happening, Mama's giving some theater advice. Oh, yes. And it is unfortunate that Sister doesn't seem to have 
anyone at school to be discussing this with or practice. Like they seem to be just sort of like, go yeah, off, memorize yeah. this, come yeah. back later. But, you know, I do like that. She says, you know, learn it line by line, page by page. That is one of those things I think that's applicable to any, you know, yeah. overwhelming large project that a kid might have. Mm-hmm. Just do it a little bit at a time and you'll be prepared. Well, and and I, like, I will help you. And mm-hmm. I will help you. And I like that sister says like reading a part in class isn't the same as getting up on stage. Like, like that, that, that's mm-hmm. a point that we've been making here, which is that it's two different skills. Mm-hmm. And, uh, which is why we have things like auditions. Yes. Which is why we have <laughs> cold reading and monologues. Like it's mm-hmm. two different skills. Like we all know that some, some of us are better at cold reading auditions and some of us are better at monologue auditions. And you, you, you quickly learn which one you are happier going into. Cold reading auditions. Me too. I love cold reading. <laughs> I, <hate Great>. <laughs> I know I know people who like monologues. I'm not one of them. Oh yeah. <laughs> and so sister puts it to put, puts that philosophy to for, to use. She starts practicing her lines in front of inanimate objects. She starts practicing her lines in front of lesser beings. Woodland, Woodland friends. Woodland friends. Woodland Forest friends. friends. Uh, she starts, and I'm gonna jump in here real quick and say that we've established that there are. Highly intelligent animals of all species throughout bear country. But they are sub-bear, aren't they? We know that they were run out of bear country at some point, because when they first moved here, I have brought this point up many times, when they they first moved into bear country, there were were pigs and dogs and goats and other animals all living in bear country. We've not seen the exodus. We know there was an exodus, probably brought on by the sudden moving in of many, many bear families. Also, the renaming of the land as Bear Country, which is the least welcoming thing you could call (laughs) an area of the world that supposedly has all different kinds of species. Um, But A little intimidating. A little intimidating. Welcome to Bear Country, everyone. Uh, I'm sure this has been... There are some examples in human history that we could point to, but we're not going to go down that road just yet. Um... But she, sister is friends with the woodland creatures, either creatures who are not quite up to the civilization level, even though we've seen intelligent rabbits, or animals that have reverted back to some sort of uh, primal state uh, in order to live comfortably with the bears. Uh, and but not, we'll sit politely and listen to her. Or, or hide in trees. Or, or know that they need, they must sit politely and listen to the bear child when she has <laughs> called them together, because what else are you going to do in bear country? Uh, a bear has given you a, a command. So... She practices in front of her woodland friends. She practices in front of Mama and Papa, who listen patiently and say, that's great. Great job. You, you learn the lines. And those are more tried and true techniques mm-hmm. that she's using. Yep. Yeah. And, and right here, Mama the Costumer, as she's listening, is putting the hem on that princess gown. And Dad's at the end book. is, is holding up book. Dad's yeah. on book. You're right. Yep. Letter perfect. Yep. You're letter right. perfect. And I will say that that letter perfection, so important. So important. And, uh, yeah, and then we get some more philosophy from Mama. More philosophy that I totally think is, 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 uh, legit. Well, there's more worry from Sister, because Mm -hmm. practicing in front of Toys and Forest friends and family is not the same. Still ain't the same. Is getting up on stage in front of the whole school, and she wants to know how how do I practice for that. And, and the answer that occurs to me is that usually you have multiple rehearsals with Mm -hmm. the other actors, but I would even go so far as to say even that doesn't prepare you. It's true. For a live audience. And what I, what I like about Mama's response is she says that some things you just can't prepare for, some things you have to do. And that's true. Like, you're never going to get that live audience until you get that live audience. Mm-hmm. 
And every actor knows that. Like everyone, well, every technician knows that. Every designer knows that. Like you don't, you don't know what this play is until you have this play. Until until the last participant joins the the, yep. the group. Yes. And that is the audience. Until that because... audience is slotted right in there. And, that's... Yeah, and even and I've I've had I've been in conversations where uh the merits of preview performances were mm-hmm. debated mm-hmm. recently. Absolutely. And uh and I, I I I pretty much go with the audience with the, the argument that you can invite a small number of people to come and see a preview. It's still not going to give you the feedback that you're mm. going to get on opening night or right. after that when you actually have a substantial number of people. Uh, and and then every performance you do, the audience is different. That, that's one of the magical things about theater, too, is that even though you're doing the same thing over and over and over again, it's different every time because it's live performance and there's a different mix of people in the room every single time. Right. But a mother says that a mama, mother, uh, she says, sister says, what if I get nervous? And mama says, everyone gets nervous. And that's totally true. And I think that's one of the mm-hmm. hardest things to accept and learn as a performer is get nervous is part of it. Like you just, you get nervous. Um, I get totally nervous. I get nervous before I record an episode of the show. Like I'm like, Ugh. so I think that's wonderful advice to give a, a kid is that being nervous is part of the process. It's part of life. Like you can deal with it. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's not something that has to overwhelm you and stop you from doing things. You, you feel nervous and you go ahead and do what you need to do and you get past it. And yeah. so in a school setting, maybe that is an argument for just saying, here's your part. You didn't mm-hmm. audition because we're trying to teach you that you, I mean, we don't really care how this show it's not going to win the regional educational <laughs> Tony or whatever. You know, I mean, we're just doing right. this. What are the stakes It's, it's, here, it's educational. Yeah. So maybe part of that is to teach kids like, yep, you can handle this. Mm-hmm. It's a really, this is a moment that kind of balances that moment earlier with brother where he was sort of blowing off her feelings as mm-hmm. being um, irrationally silly um, because she really acknowledges sister's anxiety and her feelings and says, yeah, you're going to be nervous. It's an acknowledgement of feelings rather than a um, dismissal yeah. of them, which is a plus parenting mama. Mm-hmm. Go. So now here, moving forward in the story, here's the part that I don't appreciate so much. So they have the big rehearsal or apparently a the big. rehearsal. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, they're getting ready for that. But then mama says she's concerned about brother because he's not taking it seriously. seriously. And, you know, sister says, don't worry, he has it all memorized. But the foreshadowing, you know, it's setting up that there's basically like this moral significance to how seriously you take it and then right. how well you will or won't do. Right. And that's kind of weird. Yeah, they throw, there's, we'll see at the end, there's a, a sort of a contrived sitcom moment with brother, a very sitcom moment. Right. Uh, uh, in, a, in a couple of pages. Uh, that does seem to be like, we're supposed to think that brother has had a flawed approach to this. I don't think we've had a, we haven't had a good example though of brother not taking it seriously. Like we've seen him learn his lines and we've seen him goof around. I mean, he did say it was a dumb old play back back. That's fine. I've been in dumb old plays. (laughs) It doesn't mean I wasn't taking it seriously. And then now we get for the first time on the next page, we get to see the set, this set and which confused me up until a few days ago, I was 
firmly convinced that this is a set that had a chandelier built into it. I didn't. I have looked at this page for years. For over a decade, I have seen this page. You see the interior of a castle. You see a roof. You see a hanging light. And you see someone painting a wall. You see someone painting the back of the set. And the ceiling's painted. And the ceiling yeah. is painted. It was. It is such a good painting. It has fooled me to this day into thinking it was actually the set. But it's all a painting. Right. It's all a backdrop. Right. It's an example of trombloy. Thank you. Thank you so much. Were I a cartoon coyote, I would have run right into the, uh, <laughs> the doorway in the back of this set. It is so... One of the, one of the problems with uh, cartoon illustration is that you are drawing everything at the same level. So a drawing drawn in the same style as your illustration comes across as Wait, part of the You know the what you missed, though? The, the bottom! I just the, noticed the that right now. You drop. can see yep. at the very bottom. You see a, it. There's little You see it stitches. perfectly in a few pages. Yeah, right. I never in a noticed few it. pages, you see backstage, so you see that right. it is a drop. Yeah, and well, then you yeah, see the bottom yeah. of the drop. I think and it might have been their intention to to fool people with this one. The, that they intentionally set up the visual ambiguity mm. that would lead you to believe, wait a second, this is... There's a roof there, and there's a chandelier dangling, and it's only when you get to the page later on where you right. can clearly see that it's you can you know, see the, the square, yeah. uh, uh, the square angle of the the side of the drop, and you see that there's backstage behind it. Well, this is going way beyond like, like if that is the case. If like Jan Stan and Jan Berenstein were like, I'm going to use this moment, this moment in my book. To screw with the reader's heads, just for a, just for a page, just give me give me this page. I want to lead them into a different like a, a different visual reality than they're expecting. Um, because were this a legit set, like uh, with a, like to build a roof onto a, set, a ceiling onto a set with a hanging light onto a proscenium stage, that that. That would require what? Like, you'd have to wire that light. That's like, you know, the you're, Guthrie can do that. But, but you're also, like, cover, you're, you're presuming you're covering, like, you're the covering entire, all the like... lighting oh, positions. Right. Right. Yes, right. Your, your lighting designer is going to hate this. <laughs> like, I want this totally naturally lit. <laughs> nope. <laughs> From an interior light. Well, see, the nice thing is, with the wood beams the way they are, you could have slots for like, oh that's true to go that's true like those we're assuming that that would be uh we're assuming that would be like solid solid but, but that could be like it. scrim right that, there that, like there could be that, light shining through but then when it's lit true. when the when the when the central light is lit like it looks like interior but then like yeah, for scene right. change like you could do a great that, that is, That's I mean, the, nice the, the budget is escalating <laughs> right, right, right. as right. you discuss for these, the, these options. The one performance not that yeah. a drop is an inconsiderable expense. Right. But I'm going to go ahead and assume that the school has a couple of drops and they just paint them every it's year. Every depending year. On what. I have another thought on this this <clears throat> picture of this rehearsal that's going on as the set is being painted. You, Not only do you have the teacher on stage, mm -hmm. which is not typically the way most directors tend to work, um, but you also have the scenery being built and painted at this, it's very crowded up there. I'm not sure how right. you're going to get a reasonable uh, rehearsal in. And we're also missing the king and queen in, in, the, in the seats. So oh, right. there are things about this picture that are questionable from a rehearsal 
Well, and, and you have a person standing on a ladder or a board <laughs> a that board. is on, a board on two, on two A-frame ladders. Hey, he's got safety rails. <laughs> and people in front of him. At an ankle yeah. level. Yes. 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 It's Perfect. a danger. Although I will say from a visual storytelling mm-hmm. standpoint, yeah. this is conveying a lot of information in a single static picture. It is. You can look at it as all of these things are happening at the same time because I see them all in this one picture at the same time. You can also, you know, take a slightly different perspective on it and say, this is a picture that shows the many things that have to happen in this process Mm -hmm. in this space. Right. Truncated. And Mm -hmm. and we're just kind of smushing them all together Mm -hmm. so that we see them all on one page. I I also want to acknowledge that by showing someone painting the set... I, I kind of all the way through had wished that they had given a little more attention to the technical side of things because that's something that a lot of kids do get involved in really early. Oh, yeah. And so I like that that was included here. I wish they talked about it a little more, but at least it's in the picture. It is. Yeah. It is. That's a beautiful picture, too. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. And, and they don't go the obvious way. In my other show, we talk about this. Um, there's always something technically screws up in these stories. You tend to see like, oh, the paint fell off the ladder or, oh, the set fell down. Oh, this happened. And so far we haven't, this isn't focusing on like hilarious technical like Guffaws, glitches and like, uh, so what happens next? Oh, it's opening night. It's opening night. It's opening night. Everyone in town's coming to see this show. Mm-hmm. There's only three or four speaking parts, but everyone's coming to see this show. But at least nine scripts. At least That's nine. Right. At least nine scripts. Bear Country is extremely involved community-wise. They're all coming to see the elementary school play. There's not an empty seat in there. And yeah. mm-hmm. they must be assigned seats because if you look at this picture and you look at the picture in Sister Bear's imagination, imagination. it's the same seating. <laughs> the exact same people are in the exact same seats. I guess they all donated uh, yeah, right. to put their name on a chair, chair and, uh, and that is their get chair the facility built. So yes. Or do you think like the front rows are reserved for the Leeds families, and then That's possible. quite possibly because you know, and both and two Leeds are I mean two of the main parts are are from one family, one family. Well, so the curtains open on our first set, and it is cartoon cutout tree, cardboard tree, uh, potted plants. And sister does a monologue saying, woe is me, uh, I've been s- sold into slavery by the king, to the king, because uh, my dad bragged about that I could spin the straw into gold. And uh, so Sister Bear begins the play, and the next thing that happens is Brother Bear comes out on stage. Well, I was going to, but actually before that, she she has this experience where she's so nervous, but she's also kind of excited. Oh, and yeah, then yeah. next thing she knows, she's <clears throat> hearing the lines, and it takes her a minute to realize the voice is hers. And that's, you know, a little a little corny, but it does show the, like you were talking about, you know, just you know your lines so well. They just come they out. They just come you. out. Mm-hmm. You've rehearsed it enough that mm-hmm. you're not even thinking. You're so in the she's zone. off to mm-hmm. a good start because Absolutely. of all her preparation. You're in the acting oh, zone. Oh, wait, that's me. Right. <laughs> You know that after this is done, she's going to say, I don't even remember what I did up there. <laughs> That's a common remember. experience. Yep. You just hit that stage, and the next thing I knew, applause. But not so for brother. He's going to remember this night for the rest of his life. Because he steps out on stage, and he can't remember a single line of his monologue. And that's what, because clearly he just didn't care enough. He didn't care enough. He didn't take theater seriously. That's enough. how, yeah. And now he's being 
punished, punished by, by, the, by the theater gods. But yeah. Dionysus himself. It, this is this is the twist here because you know we've been building up the whole book thinking sister's the one with stage fright, right. but this is the actual example of stage fright of going on stage and not being able to do what and you're this supposed is, to this do. And this is the point I really wanted to make, which is we actually get to see two example, two different versions of stage fright. Mm-hmm. Stage fright that is the anticipation leading up to it, and then a I'd say rarer kind, which is hitting the stage and blanking. Because of the because of nerves, that's the stage fright that we're all afraid is going to happen. That's like the the anxiety we carry with us is I'm going to get up there and I'm not going to know what's going on. I'm gonna I'm gonna get up in the booth with my with the script and I'm gonna lose my place and not be able to call the show. I'm going to get behind that uh, you know behind the the, uh, the the board and I'm going to just completely freeze. But I'd say that's a much rarer form of stage fright. Mm-hmm. Not that we all haven't gone up on stage at some point, had that momentary hiccup where we're like, where you're suddenly aware you're on stage and you're like, I'm in a play. <laughs> I'm in a play. Uh, and then you jump right back in. Yeah. Or <clears throat> momentarily forgetting what comes next mm-hmm. or what I'm supposed to say or who's supposed to say something yep. next at all. But what helps in those situations is. Uh, you know, having a, a culture of trust with your fellow performers. Yeah. Um, which is, I think, something that is not sufficiently established between sister and brother. It's true. Um, and uh, never mind whoever else is in the play. <laughs> Whoever's on the stage. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that, that's you're all there to rescue each other from those yeah. situations when things are working the way they, they really should. Yeah. I, I, ideally, ideally, the stage is a safe place. Like, of people who are well-rehearsed and ready to back you up. I'd say, the, ideally, the theater is a safe place. Right. Of, mm-hmm. of people in front of and behind the, the scenes that are mm-hmm. there to catch you when you fall. Um, like you said, Andrew, brother and sister haven't established that relationship. But sister gets it as soon as it happens. Uh, brother goes up. He's literally sweating. And sister takes one moment to rub his nose in it. And to do the mama. She's actually doing yeah. the mama bear <laughs> snarky. Hands on hips. Eyes to the side. Yeah. Audience wondering what's going on. Right. She's, just in place. she's so determined to put him in his place that she's willing to break character. Sure, right, right. <laughs> Going to full mama. Yeah. And then it says what she what? She, uh, she helped took pity on him. She took, took pity on him. Or, you know was a professional actor. (laughs) Well, she said, now, did she say this full voice? He whispered, I can't remember my lines. And she said, why don't you try standing on your head? And I'm thinking, so she whispered that, but... Or stage whispered. Stage whispered, yeah, right. (laughs) Why don't you try standing on your head? (laughs) (laughs) But then she helped him with his lines because, you know, the show must go on. The show must go on. Although, when someone goes up on stage, it's embarrassing for everyone it's hard for everyone when someone when there's that momentary pause everyone involved in the show immediately thinks they did something wrong like even if you're backstage and it, you're not even on if you know you're not even supposed to be on you have that like <gasps> like I an entrance did I do something wrong <laughs> and you're like no, no no it was just them it was just them it was just them or if you're supposed if it's your if you're uh, uh, working the lights or if you're doing sound or if you're doing props you think it's your fault and you immediately tense up and get ready to go on stage <laughs> I would say that I'm happy that the teacher isn't off stage whispering lines, as you usually see on television shows and in movies. Absolutely. There's always the person on book 
whispering the lines because to me that's the most unrealistic or thing. in the yes. hole in the center of the stage right. Right. <laughs> and right. this is also the page where we see the bottom the hem of the, there of the is, backdrop the there it is yep. mm-hmm. it looks, yeah. the bear country backdrop so sister saves his keister and then we see the dramatic disappearance of grizzly stiltskin because the show goes on in the most confounding image in the history of theater portrayal in children's books, <laughs> we see from right to left, we see Brother Bear looking delighted. We see Sister Bear looking like she's in a religious, like, ecstatic, I don't know what. She, her eyes are pointing in two different directions. <laughs> she's so thrilled as to what have her arms akimbo. We see Grizzly Stiltskin disappearing in a puff of smoke, not angrily, like creepily disappearing in a puff of smoke, and we see a cross-eyed uh, <laughs> teacher, this is, uh, this is Teacher Jane, standing off stage, supplying the puff of smoke in with the, and I know that we are all familiar with this theatrical convention, the spray can... <laughs> Of cloud spray. <laughs> of cloud spray. Clearly labeled cloud, cloud spray. spray. <laughs> cloud spray. We've all dealt with it. We know <laughs> how hard it is to find a reliable can of cloud spray to produce your cloud um, on stage. I, I never have. No. We all know the, the big green can of cloud spray that you can buy at your local <laughs> theater shop. Your local Norcostco. Yep, go to Norcostco. Sort of a holy grail of technical <laughs> theater. Yep, everyone. Oh, we're out of cloud spray. Well, good thing we always have a closet full. I've actually been saving up to get you some for your birthday. Oh, it's so sweet. I needed more cloud spray. Uh, it's presumably a can. Uh, for those of you listening at home, there's no way. I don't know what this is. No. Uh, I do know that producing clouds on stage is difficult. Very. Uh, tricky. Usually produced with some sort of... Machine. Fog machine. Or dry ice. Or dry ice. I've done both. Dry ice fog machine. Dry ice machine. Salmoniac. Chemical fog. Depending on where you want and the fog to sit. Any method you use... Comes with its own set of complications. Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, they are either loud. loud. Certain methods you have to turn off the smoke alarm so mm-hmm. that the fire department doesn't arrive. You could also use a fire extinguisher. I've used a fire. <laughs> not a it's not a, it's not a powder know. fire extinguisher. It's the it's the dry ice fire extinguisher. Oh. Um, I used it for uh, Greek drama. We had four different types of smoke going on, and when Athena appeared, I had a fire extinguisher. So if you. Um, if you stood off stage with a fire extinguisher, not a powder fire extinguisher, but a, a dry, a dry, uh, dry uh, ice or CO2. A CO2 fire extinguisher, and you shot it at a child <laughs> about standing about a foot and a half away from you, would it have the desired effect? Would it make that well, child... See, that's, that's the, the really miraculous thing about what's going on in this picture, is the, the cloud spray comes out and it forms this... this Bubble. Perfect... Bubble exactly around Grizzly Stiltskin and not, you know, spreading all over the stage and into the audience. And and it's uh, black. This is a black cloud. Is, yes. Yes. Uh, it, it's amazing how well contained it is. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow it, it envelops him and goes nowhere it isn't supposed to. Right. Because stage Just fog, my experience stage fog stage either fog. crawls yes. along the ground. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It either crawls along the ground. Uh, it seeps into the audience. And seeps over the edge of the stage into the audience. The front few rows are like, oh, that's, this was interesting until now. Um, <laughs> or it climbs, immediately climbs up, up into the lights. and Or it just sort of forms this wall. 
if you've turned it on too early, that sort of just like moves out into the theater and obscures everything for like the next three scenes. It's very difficult. You cannot localize it. You cannot have right because then I mean, it's instantly gone by the next page. There is right. no. It is. So I'm going to assume that this isn't. This is some sort of chemical. Some sort of like I'm going to assume that this is something they maybe Teacher Jane or Teacher Jane's like friends like found at the hardware store. They quickly wrapped the canister in a green piece of paper, wrote cloud spray on it, so that. No administrators would be like, what are you going to spray on the kids? And they're like, oh, it's cloud Black spray paint. No, it's cloud spray. This is cloud spray. It's something you buy at the theater store. And they're like, oh, oh okay. We don't know anything about the theater. And then they shot some kind of solvent or something right. at, that were like, Freddie, just when this when the play is done, come back to the back. We have, we're gonna, we have a, a hose. Just please close your eyes and, and, and it happens. Don't breathe. Don't breathe in. Don't breathe in while the smoke is going. Is it is it possible that this is like a bear technology that we just can't mm. actually oh. understand because we're not bears? Right. It's probably safe for cubs. I want to live in their universe. It's pretty neat. <laughs> I wish we had cloud spray like the bears. I'm going to say, okay, so at some point in bear history, because we know that something happened in bear history to sort of branch off so that technology is a little behind the times. But socially, they're kind of where we are in America. Um, I'm going to assume that whatever that branch happened, something occurred so that they developed some theatrical techniques that we aren't a party to, that we didn't develop. They may not have invented the fly rail, but they invented the cloud spray. And it served them well. It has to be used uh, manually, operated by hand. For right off stage, doesn't have a large range, but it works and it's child safe. Uh, probably comes in a variety of colors. They chose gray because it's supposed to be a puff of smoke. I would think the puff of smoke would come from beneath or behind, but... They don't have that set up in this particular right. theater. They make do with what they have. And I'm going to assume that they couldn't have a kid do it because it's illegal to operate if you're under the age of 18. <laughs> like, you cannot sell cloud spray to a minor. Well, and absolutely. I mean, her eyes are crossed. Her eyes are crossed. Obviously, <laughs> obviously <laughs> she's, been, she's been huffing that right, cloud right. spray for teacher, a while. Teacher Jane's been hitting the cloud spray pretty hard. I mean, it's already having well, an effect on sister. After the mimeograph machines. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> teacher Jane is all about the blue mimeograph ink, the cloud spray, and sister's ecstatic to be on the receiving end. <laughs> she looks fine in the next the next page. Though. She does. She does. She okay. Sister doesn't. Nor does sister, Freddie. Sister and Freddie's pupils are well contracted in the next shot. So whatever's in the clouds, right? Uh, so let's look at this last shot. The kids are taking their bows. Uh, Walleye, sister, and Freddie are are they don't even know where they are, but they're taking their bows. Brother is taking his bow. There's a king, mm-hmm. not a queen. Well, she's the princess, so I think that she would have to marry the king's son. Son. Okay, so maybe she married the prince. So she would marry the prince to become the princess. There's a queen, I guess, not wearing a crown? Unless it's a blue Unless crown. Unless it's the blue crown. Oh, like a T-I-I-I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And then three guard bears. Right. So I think that that's your eight actors. With axes. One, two, three, Large four, five, axes. six, seven. There's eight. Yeah, there's, there's eight. Eight actors. There were eight scripts. Right? There are nine scripts. Well, the teacher needs the, teacher the script. Needs oh, that's right. Yeah. So, okay, well, so, there you go. There's three scripts for guard bears. I'm going to assume that those they sides... They don't need sides. Those because, sides. Yeah, right. they, might, they might have had other bit parts. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, other bit parts. Throughout. Or yeah. uh, maybe they needed full scripts because they had a lot of scene changes right. to do. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what they had. Uh, so that makes sense. They get very large axes. They get enormous axes. Uh, they get to stand silently. As far as my history with the book, 
the story of Rumpelstiltskin goes. I don't remember there being a lot of parts for guards in it. Uh, obviously, no one's playing the, uh, the the father of the of the of the daughter. Right. But that would have been a part that I would have cast before I had three guards. Right. <laughs> and just like in real life, it appears there are six male parts and two female parts. Yeah, that is like real life, isn't it? Underrepresented, even though it is a story of a young woman. And she's got Assuming the Assuming that's a queen rather than a prince. Right, yeah. right, right. That could be the prince. And then the final page is Mother Bear, Mama Bear, and Fa- Papa Bear backstage with brother and sister. Brother's looking, not cowed, but he's aware that he screwed up. Uh, sister Bear has been, is being congratulated on a wonderful performance. Uh, Mama said, uh, congratulations on a job well done. And Sister gets the final line in the story, which is the part of the book that bothers me the most. Because Brother throughout this thing has been saying, acting's a piece of cake. And Sister's final response to Mama's congratulations isn't, it was a piece of cake. And it wasn't, piece of cake. It was, a piece of cake. Which to me isn't how you say, piece of cake. You either say... It was a piece of cake. Or you say, piece of cake. You, you don't, don't say, say a, pe- a piece of cake. <laughs> it sounds like she's... Well, and the way she's shrugging, it's like, a piece of cake? Right. Like, right. <laughs> Do I deserve a piece of cake? It sounds like Mama's like, you did such a good job, honey. And Sister goes, hot dogs and bananas. <laughs> I'm like, I don't understand. Like, you're making a... It's written. I know what she's supposed to be saying, right. but th- the first yes. time I ever read this book, I was like... A piece, of a piece of cake. It's like the, it's like the the idiom doesn't make sense. Like right. she's just learning it. Like she's from another land, and she's like, <laughs> I've heard that English speakers say a, a piece, piece of, of cake. a piece of cake when something is easy. Like I don't know, either cut the a or add an it was to the final line. That's my that's my biggest nitpick mm-hmm. with this book. Is I it's always so. bugged me to the extent that when I read it out loud to my children, I have always said, "Congratulations," said Mama, "on a job well done." A piece of cake," <laughs> said Princess Sister, <laughs> because uh, because that's my that's my prerogative as a parent to to ruin the end of the book. <laughs> We're all involved, uh, but I get what she said. She 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 adopts a bit of Brother Bear's cocky attitude because she deserves it. She earned it. She did. She put in the legwork. She put in the groundwork. She she did the, She did everything right. She's allowed to bask and be a little. Take a deep breath. Well, and I think he's standing right there. I think she's yeah. ribbing him a little. She's, yes. she's ribbing yes. brother, and brother yeah. is taking it so well. Yes, it he, has that moralistic thing that actually has, to me, always fed into stage fright of see you better be nervous because being nervous is what makes it good. Preparing right. isn't what makes it good because they both prepared. Right, but one wasn't nervous and one wasn't. Ha ha! See, you better be nervous because if you're not, you're going to screw up, and that's actually completely not true. Right. So that kind of bugs me. What do we think of this book? How did it, did it, did it fulfill its goal? Did it address the topic at hand? Which is, how did the old stage from? Did it set up some good, some good, like, was the message appropriate? Was this, was what mama said to sister appropriate? Was what sister did appropriate? Is this a good book for kids to read? Thoughts? I think it is. Um, If just for mama's advice of, Sometimes you can't prepare mm-hmm. completely for things. Sometimes you just have to push through it and and 
experience it yeah and and overcome it i agree I, that's where i really see the value in this it's and and i see a lot of information being presented especially visually that does tell you about the kind of work that goes into preparing a show and how many more people it that work on a play than you see on stage as well mm-hmm. yeah um you've got mama sewing costumes and papa helping with lines and that that bear who I hope he safely got down from that ladder situation. <laughs> uh, no one lost their cool. And yeah, no, no. Major way. And it and both kids worked really hard. Yeah. Compared right. to some other books, it's actually a little more subtle. Like there's no like wacky hijinks. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Well, like I said, like yeah. the, in, no, no this, Papa shenanigans. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Papa yeah. isn't like trying to weasel his way into the show or like, <laughs> right. <laughs> building the set, insisting on right. building the set. Well, and like you said, it. they actually it's also of you know steered clear of the stereotypical paint can falling, all that yeah. kind of, you know, like they leading, kept, it, kept it pretty real. Leading me to believe that the Berenstains have some experience in this actual venue. Like it has a, it has a, it takes the world of the theater serious enough mm-hmm. and respectfully enough that I, yeah. I have to believe that they're not coming from a position of ignorance. And there are those telling details. Like on the final page here, we see the back of that tree that was on yeah, stage yeah. earlier. And it, you, you see not only the, the wooden structure that is supporting the facing of it, but you see on the back, it's written Act 1. There's information on it that would be useful to the people who are mm-hmm. ha- making the, the show happen yes. uh, in a way that is fairly realistic. And the, the actual structure on the back of the tree is not dissimilar to what you'd use to build a flat. Mm. Correct. Mm-hmm. A um, sort of wooden framing. To, wooden framing down to the um, the little four nails wow. on each of these individual joining pieces. <laughs> That's pretty good. Which is pretty detailed. <laughs> and yeah. you would know. Yeah. <laughs> we can forgive the cloud smoke puff machine, maybe. <laughs> All right. Well, to, to finish up, um, I personally love this book. I think it's great. I think it's funny. Uh, it, I think it's well done. I think it's nicely illustrated. Uh, the colors pop. The, as we said, the story, the, the images carry a lot of visual information. There's a lot of stuff going on in the backgrounds of a lot of these images. Uh, you see a lot of the cubs interacting, even though they don't get speaking parts. Brother has a lot of friends. Brother and cousin Freddie have a lot of like classmates, uh, who hang out with them on their walk home. So you sort of get to see the cubs interacting at school, doing something besides learning, uh, like just the, their, their numbers and their letters. Uh, so you get and you get a good sense of bear country as a community. Everyone's showing up for the for the sh- for the show. Uh, you see a little bit of the extended family getting involved in supporting sister and brother in their endeavors. Um, I think it sort of fills out bear country nicely from a continuity perspective and from brother and sister being brother and sister, uh, treating each other with a little less respect than maybe they should, but a little more respect than the, uh, brother and sister had when they were younger. Um, uh, just sort of learning to navigate life as a family and supporting each other and giving advice when necessary and not giving advice when you don't know what you're talking about. So uh, Berenstain Bears get stage fright, gets a big thumbs up from me. Uh, 1986, add it to your bookshelves. Uh, we're going to wrap up here. Everyone, thank you so much for joining me on the show. It has been a delight to have a roundtable. 
Thank you for having me. Thank you, Thank Phil. You. Thank you, Phil. Happy to be here. Oh, it was wonderful. Um, for everyone else, uh, you can find the show at uh, berenstainbearcast.wordpress.com. You can find us on Twitter at bstainbearcast. You can find us on Facebook at Deep in Bear Country, a Berenstain Bearcast. We are on iTunes. We are on Google Podcasts, which I'm still not convinced is a thing. We are on the Stitcher app. Uh, or you can write to me at uh, berenstainbearcast at gmail.com. We will have a few more books to wrap up 1986 in the future. I know it's been a huge year. They seem to have published everything this year. Uh, so join me. I will be covering more stuff, more collectibles. We're going to dip into the TV show again. And I will see everyone else next time deep in bear country. Bear country.